one of them is here today, leader Dion Muhammad, who was up here helping lead worship today, and I appreciate Darren filling in for Peter and did a great job, and I appreciate all of you. But um, Dion was up here today helping lead worship. She'll be in the lobby afterwards if you want to get you an eternal bread hat, or if you're hungry, she'll have something you can eat, eternally food. But I appreciate Dion, her husband Terry, and and they just officially became a missionary of our church last month, and so we're excited with the street ministry stuff they're doing uh, downtown, Bower Jackson Avenue primarily, and uh, we can be part of that, and uh, specifically through the Bartlett campus and other ways, but uh, again, one church, multiple locations, so you're part of that. And again, speaking of that, <clears throat> yesterday we again... Uh, gave out food to about 350 families and uh, through the help group. It didn't, when I got there, it looked like nobody, there was nobody there. I got there about 11 and it looked like we were done. And normally they're lined up row after row after row. And I started checking with numbers with Cameron and Madison and we were 337. I said, what? 330? And uh, so Chris, we ended up about 350. So we just, uh, they moved through quickly and, uh, we're just thrilled we can do that, and it's interesting, a number of other churches are now doing the exact same thing. We're, we've always been trendsetters. I mean, look at me. Oh, that hurt. So, I wore jeans yesterday, and I don't wear jeans very often. I just don't, uh, I don't know, I just don't like them, I'm not comfortable in them. And I, look, I look good in this kind of stuff, and even, though, even though it's old. So, I'm walking up, and I had a Cardinals hat on. And sun, dark sunglasses and a mask. And Cameron was there. And I, know he, I don't think he recognized me. He said, he said who's that good-looking guy in the jeans walking? That's what you, that's what you said, wasn't it? I wasn't quite like, okay, who's the, who's the vagrant walking over here with the jeans on? And the Cardinals hat. And the card, I had a Cardinals mask on, I think. And I may have had a Steve Nance mask on. I don't remember. But uh, it just really encourages me. I was going to a few of the cars and just talking and, uh, people are so grateful for uh, what God has, has wrought and is rotting. Rotting is a new word. You might want to write that down. It begins with a W. You can look it up later. Rotting. What God is doing through our church, and um, as I've mentioned several times, you sure need to pray for Chris Ellison. If you forget to pray for the rest of uh, our elders, you pray for, for that boy. He, uh, uh, it's the hardest working man in show business. I know that. Most people think that's James Brown, but it's... Uh, if you don't know who James Brown is, see Darren afterwards. All right. Take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 139. 139. If you'll take your hand your uh, handout and look at it, this is one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture, and we're going to walk through it for two or three weeks, because I think as we're beginning to wrap up our series on who's your daddy, and I know you're so disappointed in that, but been looking at all these incredible attributes of our God, we're now looking at the great omni attributes of our God, that he's omnipresent, that he's omniscient, and that he's omnipotent. And what does that mean for us? I mean, it's nice to know a little Latin and throw those words out there and impress your friends that you know the word omniscient or you know omnipotent or omnipresent, that he's all of those things. But ultimately, it comes down to what do I do with that? And anytime you study God's word, I really appreciate the, the things that, that Darren was sharing today about that we come together corporately and, and it, we're excited to worship, and whether you're in the building or you're doing it virtually, that we're worshiping together, but then God sends us out. 
so many different places throughout the week, and I'm just astonished, even in the midst of a, a pandemic and even being, uh, in some cases, even locked down and all the different pl- places that I end up during a week, week, how often I just get to talk to total strangers, maybe not necessarily to share the gospel, but just kind of talk about in general what's going on culturally and how I as a believer might look at that, even uh, taking Mary to the uh, emergency room and trying to get in there and not being able to, and then taking her back. I told you about my trick to get, when I had to go back, how I finally got in, and just talking to people. Just uh, Everybody is hurting, and uh, what Darren said about fear is so real that it's just palpable in our culture right now, and yet, as believers, we know the God who says to us, we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We have an incredible message to share with our world. And it's always been that way. But I know people say, man, it's, it's a tough time. It's is a great time to be a Christian. And I don't mean a nominal person who says, I'm a, of course I'm a Christian, I, I'm an American. No, I mean this is a great time to be a believer in Jesus Christ because if you want an opportunity to share your faith, all you got to do is pray and you'll get it. It will be in your face one way or the other. It may be by email. I've, I've been dealing with people, been talking to, because of what Mary's going through, I spent about an hour talking to a guy in Australia. I said, good day, several times, but he didn't get my southern joke. <laughs> and then I had to deal with somebody in Canada, and I said, eh, several times, and they didn't get it either. I guess it's that southern accent. I don't know. But the guy in Australia, just, you know, just talking about we're having to order her medicine from Australia and just talking to him about something that's worldwide and the hope that we have as Christians that I don't mind telling people that I'm a devout believer in Jesus Christ because I think that's where answers are found. We talked about that last week as we began to look at this, this series, that you can open God's word. And for us as Christians, it's our manual for life. A lot of people... Just say it's another religious book. We believe that it is the eternal word of God that changes lives when believed. Faith is placed in it, in the work that Jesus did on the cross. We don't believe he was just another great religious leader and great teacher. We believe he was God incarnate. And so that's what we place our faith in. And I've probably shared this with you before. And no one, not definitive that this was, you may have heard of Blaise Pascal, a fam- <coughs> pardon me, famous mathematician and Christian philosopher. And you may have heard of Pascal's wager. And they're not positive that, it, that Pascal was the first to say it, but it's attributed to him. How many of you know what Pascal's wager is? How many of you do not know? How many of you are still asleep? Phil's awake, he got his hand up, all right. I mean, he got his hand up that he's still asleep, all right. Here's Pascal's wager. Blaise Pascal. Here's what he said. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I live my life to honor him, to glorify him. I want others to see Christ in me. I want to share the gospel. I believe he's the way a man comes to know God, is righteous, uh, understands life, all the things that uh, we, we propagate and preach as Christians. I believe that, Blaise Pascal. He said... Well, let's say I go through my whole life 
and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I follow Christ, and I want to be Christ-like in all that I do, and I die, and I was wrong, what have I lost? The answer to that rhetorical question is what? You haven't lost anything. You've had a good life. Because if you live your life based on the tenets of Jesus Christ, you're going to love people. You're going to care about them. You're, you're, going to be, you're going to serve others. You're going to be a good person. And when you die, you die. Not knowing what's on the other side. If you're a Christian, you haven't lost anything. But then here's Pascal's wager. What if I'm right? You live your life in rejection of Jesus Christ. You want nothing to do with him. You just, he's just another religious teacher. You choose to follow someone else or, or follow the dictates of your own heart, you know, secular humanist or atheist, whatever you call yourself. You, you live your life based on your philosophy of life, whatever you believe, and you die, and you're wrong. What have you lost? And the answer is everything. Eternal separation from God. Do you see why the message we have is so important? We believe, as those who've studied God's word and placed our faith in the work of Jesus Christ, and historically we believe he proved himself to be exactly who he said he was, the great I am, that I am God. So we began last week to look at who this God is. As we're wrapping up, we got one more lesson, sermon in this series of Who's Your Daddy? As we're looking at God to us is not just the deity that's out there that probably created the universe, but is not part of my life. God to us is intimate. He is our Father. That's why Jesus taught us to pray. When asked the question, Lord, teach us to pray. How do you, why do you do this and now teach us? What did he say? Our Father. We approach God in a different manner. We approach him as children. Your, your children don't come to you and say, pardon me, sir, who's, uh, who has the, the wallet? Or ma'am, who has the, the ability to give me money in this home? Do you mind? They come to you and say, mom, dad, I want something. And usually you give it to them. We approach God as our father. It's intimate, it's personal, it's familial, it's real. And that's the way God wanted it. That's what these omni attributes are about, as we're going to see. So last week, Psalm 139, if you haven't turned there already, we began to look at our God is all, omni, he is all these things. And we looked at, in verses 1 through 4, or through 5, we're not going to go over those again, but I want you to look on your handout. Last week we looked at God is omniscient, that he knows everything. We talked about the fact he knows my thoughts, he knows my life, he knows my habits, he knows my words, and he knows my past, my present, and my future. Now, why is that important? Because it reminds me that every moment of my life, God knew about before he created the universe. He has a tremendous plan for me as an individual that he wants to work out in my life. He loves me. He's intimately acquainted with me. I'm not hiding anything from him. So that leads you to verse 6. It's where we're going to begin today. Look at verse 6, Psalm 139. Such knowledge, what we've been talking about, 
It's too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And here's the next point. God not only knows all those things about me, my thoughts, my habits, my life, my words. This is so important. He knows my all. From the south, you have to be careful when you pronounce that. He knows my all. A-W-E. What does that mean? He also knows my lack thereof, if it exists. I told you when we began this last week, the Psalm 139 is, is David just stopping and reveling in the magnificence of God his Father. That's what the Lord wants from us. The chief end of man is to glorify God. When the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, it is not fear like he's going to get me. It's fear like, man, wow, I'm overwhelmed. That's exactly what verse 6 is saying. Look at it again. Such knowledge that God has about me, David, Randy, you, is too wonderful for me. It is high. He cannot attain it. Verse 6 is like a summary of verses 1 through 5, and David just pauses to say, I'm just in awe of who God is, and that he's my God, that he's my Father. I can't grasp this knowledge. It's too incredible that he cares for me like he does. The creator, the sustainer of the universe, who sees everything simultaneously, says to me, I am so intimately acquainted and interested in you, you are the most important thing I ever made. Go back and read Genesis 1 and 2. The epitome of God's creation was humanity. Jesus didn't come and become a plant or an animal. He came to earth and became a human being and died in our stead. Because we're that significant for God so loved the world that he gave. God with us, God incarnate. We beheld the glory of the Father in the Son. He came to give his life. He knows me. And then he said, so then he, he knows whether I'm in awe of that or not. And the point of this, before we move to number two on your handout, is this. God wants you in, in such an awe of him that it changes, where need be, how you live your life. How you look at people. How you look at opportunities. How you deal with the difficulties of your life. All of us in many ways face different things, and some incredibly hard, and, and it might be physical, it might be financial, it in, in many ways, a lot of times, it's relational within your family or somebody at work. All kinds of areas in which we hurt and have difficulties that we have to deal with. And what God says is, remember, I know you. But not only do I know you, I love the fact he knows my past, present, and my future simultaneously. Try to wrap your mind around just that one thing. You can't. Because he's in tomorrow already. We're getting ready to deal with that one. He's omnipresent also. So he's already working good on my behalf in tomorrow. 
Even though I don't understand that, his thoughts are higher than my thoughts, his ways are not my ways. I'm glad that that's the case because he's God. And I can crawl up in his arms and say, okay, Daddy, Mary and I were praying literally about this very thing, as hard as this has been, what she's going through, and still is, as we pray together daily, we pray, and it's so beautiful to see her praying about, God, I know you're in control. When she's too sick to eat, all she wants to do is throw up and doesn't really want to function, and she prays, I know you're in control, but I don't understand. You ever prayed that? Yeah, you have. I know I have. There are a lot of things we don't understand, but did God stop being God? Did he stop being your daddy? No. And so he's working something good, or he's a liar. Now, will I see all that good in this life? Probably not. Probably not. But I'll see some of it. No matter what it is. I'll see some of it. And then when I die and go home, I'll see a lot more of it. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians says I'll see it all then. Now let's move to number two. He not only knows all of that, he's also omnipresent. He's everywhere. Look at verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, behold, you're there. Literally, that word there, hell, sheol, depending on how it's translated in your, your Bible, it simply means the abode of the dead. Let's leave it there for a moment. Behold, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night will be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. The, the point here in verses, particularly 7 through 12, as we just read, is that God is infinite. God is not subject, we've mentioned this many times, that it's one of the greatest, most comforting things to understand about our God, these attributes. That he's infinite, that he's omnipresent. He is not bound by space and time. He created the space-time continuum for us. We operate past, present, future. God operates is. What did he tell Moses? What did he tell Moses his name was? I am. What did Jesus tell the Pharisees? Before Abraham was, I am. The point being, God is is. He's the only self-existent entity in the universe. He's the only thing that existed when there was nothing. Hebrews, um, excuse me, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the Hebrew is, he created them out of nothing. So prior, if you read John 17, In the upper room discourse, Jesus begins to pray at the end of the upper room discourse, and he's leaving the upper room to go to the cross. And he begins his prayer this way. Father, glorify me together with the glory which we had. Anybody know the rest of the verse? Before the world was. 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our God is infinite, outside space and time. It's beautiful when you see things like, let us create man in our image. Now, I didn't do real well in school, but us, I think, is a plural pronoun. And the only thing that existed at that moment in time was God. And he said, let us. So who was he talking to? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. And each of them is active in our lives because God is our daddy. So he's infinite. Point two in your handout. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere simultaneously. And I understand you can't comprehend it. I can't either. That's what just, David just said. This kind of stuff is far above me. I don't get it. Here's one I'll really give you a headache when you leave. He sees everything that happens, everything from the moment he created Adam and Eve to us being here right now till Jesus coming back, wrapping it all up from the beginning of time, which he created time, until he wraps up time and gives us a new heaven and a new earth. From the beginning to the end, Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He sees all of that at once. At once. And the believers and theologians like to fight over election and predestination and foreordination. In the mind of God, it all is what? Is. He sees it all. That's your daddy. I still remember as a little boy, and I didn't have a great relationship with my father, but he was my father. I still remember as a little boy, and you probably did the same thing. When the question came up about who was tough, who's the first one you're going to bring up? My daddy, my daddy whip your daddy anytime. Not even a question. Of course he can. He's my daddy. How about this? Your daddy is the most powerful entity in the universe. Matter of fact, he is totally powerful. There is nothing that remotely approaches the power of your father. We ain't even gotten to that one yet. And not only that, He sees everything simultaneously, and he's in control of everything simultaneously. And so he says to us, again, beautifully what Darren shared with us earlier, he says to us, don't fear. He also says to us, don't worry. Uh Uh-oh. How many of you have been guilty of worrying about something this week? I know I have. I struggle. It's It's a sin that I struggle with. The Bible says anything that's not of faith is sin. God says, you got to trust me. It may not be going the way you want it to go, but you got to trust me. And I've proven myself trustworthy. Trust me. Just simple, simple, simple things. God, again, being infinite, he's here with us right now. He's in us right now. Without him sustaining the universe, we no longer can exist. Simple example. Beyond us as believers, just as the human race, he puts us on this planet, 
and gives us an atmosphere that allows us to what? Breathe. Exist. Every breath that you, I, or every other human being on this planet, Christian or not, breathes is a gift from God. He created oxygen. And everything else you need to live. And put you on a planet exactly the perfect distance from the sun so that you could live. So that we as a race could live. Again, another way to share your faith with people who don't believe the Bible. So where did we come from? And to have that discussion with them. And ultimately you're going to get around to like many in the intelligent design community are non, not Christians, non-believers have reached the conclusion that something created the universe. It is too systematically, delicately balanced to be an accident. And then you get a chance to say, well, guess who it is? Ooh, ooh! Those of you all remember Arnold Horshack. Ooh, ooh! I know! The answer is God. Okay, who's God? Uh, ooh, ooh! The God of the Bible. So you have answers. People are desperately seeking answers. You have them. Look at verse 7 and 8 quickly. Here's what he says to you, to us. The fact that I'm omnipresent, God says, you cannot escape my presence. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Now, on one hand, you might look at this and say, remember, this is a great psalm to revel in the awesomeness of your father. But on the one hand, you might say, I don't like that. Because there are times I'd like to hide from God. You ever felt like you've done something so stupid and so dumb and that you were embarrassed that God was watching? Ever, ever, ever thought something you wish you hadn't thought? And God is there even in the midst of that. And here's the beauty. Did he stop being your daddy when you did something stupid? Have you, how many of you are parents? You may have adult children. That counts. Believe me, it counts. How many of you are parents? How many of you have, all right, put your hands down. Those of you are parents. How many of you have a child that's ever done something stupid? Did you stop being their daddy? 